Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. We have a special treat for you this week. It's the conversational transformation talk that Jeffrey and I gave at DevOps Enterprise Summit in Las Vegas in October 2019. We'll explain what a conversational transformation is, why you might need one, and how it will help you with your digital or agile or DevOps transformation. Enjoy. We'll be talking about uh, conversational transformations, uh, the missing foundation, and then we get to sort of the, the buzzword bingo part. The difficult conversations unlock successful digital, agile, DevOps, and lean transformations. We wanted to like cast a, you know, why this is a big tent kind of topic. So uh, I'm very happy that all of you joined us here. Um, we're gonna be talking about uh, information that we have in uh, a book that we've written that will be coming out in May of 2020. However, um, one other note about our presentation, uh, you, this will be available, slides will be available for, for you to, to download and read later. That, and we've designed it that way that there is some information for you to study later uh, as you reflect on the talk because we want you to be able to apply the techniques that we talk about. This is not, uh, I don't know why you're here, but it's not just for entertainment in, in our minds. You know? And it's know, not just theory. That's right. A lot of talks you come to and you listen and, and uh, you say, well, that was fun, and then you go away. This is not one of those talks. We're gonna be asking you to do something uh, and it's something that you'll be able to do tonight. You'll be able to apply and learn something. And just so you know, learning is horrible because learning is the detection and correction of error. If you don't feel uncomfortable doing what we're talking about, you're not doing it right. So with that lovely introduction, why do transformations fail? Uh, I've been doing Agile for about 20 years, and the people who have a good grasp of dates will say, wait a minute, there was no such thing as Agile 20 years ago. Uh, that's true, but I was on the uh, Word wiki, the C2 wiki, the, the gray hairs here will know what I'm talking about, uh, talking about the things that were later branded Agile. And I've seen many transformational waves come through our industry, uh, and I've seen uh, the pain and suffering of people and on both sides, people who are very excited about the transformation and they get very frustrated when it isn't working. And I see some nodding of heads and I, and I talk to people earlier, they, you, if you're here, you're probably one of these people who are very excited about what will be better and you wanna bring better to everyone. And I'll tell you now, you'll be frustrated <laughs> when you come back from this conference and you're very excited and you talk to them and they're not interested in your better. And, oh, you've been here before. <laughs> and so what do you do? Uh, now, in the transformation, we're looking for wide-scale change in, in not just adopting another set of practices, another punch list. We're looking to change how people relate to one another. We're looking to change culture. That's hard. But it's actually not complicated. What we're gonna tell you here is if you change your conversations, you will change your culture. And you know what? If you're involved in a cultural transformation, one of the things you might think is that you can go read a book. Maybe you can even read our book. <laughs> or you could read, how many people have read Five Dysfunctions of a Team? Great. Anybody remember what the first dysfunction is? Shout it out. Trust. Trust. Thank you. Anybody remember what Lencioni tells you to do if you have low trust? Anybody? Go ahead, shout it louder. Vulnerability. Vulnerability. Okay, does he tell you how to become vulnerable? 
I'll tell you, because I've read it more recently than you guys, he tells you that you should talk to your team about their strengths and weaknesses, and you should go on a ropes course. When I read that, I threw the book across the room. I wanted my money back, because I was very frustrated that Lencioni, and he's not the only one, doesn't tell you what to do. The difference we claim in what we're going to tell you is it's something you can walk away from today and do differently with immediate results. Not immediate super results, you'll have to get better at it, but something will happen that will be different. You'll build trust, for example. And the thing is you already have a good idea of where you want to get. This is part of what makes it possible. Um, there's not a lot of disagreement out of people about what they want. Um, one way to look at this is, uh, if people read the book Accelerate, uh, one of the ideas I really liked in there was from Ron Westrom, The Three Cultures. And they talked about, uh, now you can see the three cultures. There's the, the pathological, bureaucratic, and generative. You can guess which one you want to be. Yeah, no, no one's like, yeah, we're aiming for pathological. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. You have a corporate culture right now. Right? Doesn't that it, it make sense? You're, you're in one of these three categories. That's the context you're in. And if you're in one of these three cultures and you go start a transformation, guess what? You're going to approach it in one of these three ways. If you're in a pathological cor a a corporation and you start a transformation, what's going to happen? You're going to approach it pathologically, top down, and then you know, ride roughshod over the bodies. If you are in a bureaucratic organization, it's going to be punchless by the rules. I'm sorry, that's not what the scrum manual says. right? And if you're in a generative uh, culture, you're probably not here because it's already working. right? So that's kind of the bad news. You, you want to get to a generative culture, but you're starting in one that's not. Just out of curiosity, how many of you would say you're in a pathological culture? Hands up. Don't worry, the camera can't see you. Don't face. worry, yeah, we're not taking names. How many of you would say you're in a bureaucratic culture? A lot of hands for that one. How many in a generative culture? Some, good, excellent. You might be in the wrong room. You're, it's okay if you leave, that's all right. <laughs> all right, so changing your culture. And this is what we're saying, you're gonna start with a conversational transformation. Now, one thing that happens, we talk about conversations a lot, and people go, that's great. I wanna have better conversations so people will do what I want. And, and guess what? That's more the pathological than generative, isn't it? So uh, that's a good thing you're here. But you know what results you want to get to. You know how to have good conversations. And I know that because we, we talk to a lot of people about it. And we will say this. Look around the people next to you. Just pick the, the closest five people, like the people in your little row there. Now imagine that your row it was up to you to make some decision, like where this conference is going to be next year. Antarctica. It would be great, we can have penguins, right. super. <laughs> and imagine you're gonna make that decision. How would you recommend you go about doing it in your row? So shout it out, what kinds of things would you do? Brainstorm. Brainstorm, I heard. Discuss, Discuss. excellent. Yeah, and it turns out when we, when we ask this, we always get the same answer. It's said different ways, but it's something like brainstorm. I wanna hear from everyone, that's same discuss. I, tell us, you know, have different opinions because Diversity is strength, right? The more opinions, the more information we get out, the better decisions we get, the more options we have. Now, uh, that would be great, except for that's not what people actually do in practice. What, what that is, is espoused behavior. When you ask people how should you make decisions, they're like, yep, get all the information out there, and then we'll decide. 
The problem is in practice, whenever humans, and most of you look like humans. Yeah, any non-humans, good, all right. When humans face the opportunity for either threat or embarrassment, they behave very differently, right? The fear portion of their brain, the amygdala kicks in and they shut down and now diversity is a threat. Because right? they might not agree if everybody could just agree with me, it would be great. Right, because I've given this careful thought. I have. I went to the conference. I did. I heard Gene talk. Mm -hmm. He signed my book. I know what we should be doing. And all I need to do is get all these people in my row to just agree that penguins are the greatest thing ever and we need to go to Antarctica. So we approach it by wanting to win, which is not what we said before was the right way to make a decision. See what's happening here? We know what good behavior looks like. But knowing is not helpful. That's because conversations are a skill, not a question of knowledge. It's sort of like, do you understand how a piano works? You probably do. You push a key, a hammer hits a string, string makes a noise. You understand that, right? Can you play a piano? Well, not by understanding, it's by practicing. So that's what we're going to talk about. There will be a little bit of understanding. Like the first thing to understand is that you have this process going on in your head where when you are exposed to some information, you unconsciously go through this process. And if you look up the ladder of entrance and you look this on wiki, you'll find lots of pictures of ladders. This is our favorite and the reason is because the illustration makes it very clear that this is something that goes on in your head. Right? There's things in the world that are real then there's this process in your head, and then you do something in the world. And when you do it, you go through this stage of going from selecting the data you see, but you tend to select things that confirm what you already believe. You add meaning to it, but you think that meaning is coming from the world, not from your head. You make assumptions, you draw conclusions, you have firm beliefs like penguins are awesome. Yeah. And from that, you instantly come to an answer that to you is obvious. It's obvious we should go to Antarctica because that's where the penguins are. Of course. Now, when you None of you followed any of that reasoning. None of you understood why, because you are all shaking your heads at the crazy man saying we should go to Antarctica. <laughs> and that's what happens. We, this happens in our heads. We feel we've come to an obvious conclusion about the world. Anyone else who disagrees just doesn't understand. But it turns out what happens is they have their own ladders, right? They've gone through their own process. They've seen different things. They have different experiences. And this should be the source of our strength, remember? And it can be if we become curious about what's on their ladder and we become transparent about what's on ours. If we begin actually sharing that information, if we want to learn about other people, then we can get to that state that we all know is the right way to make decisions. And the problem is that if you look on television, you never see people behaving in the way we just described. You see this dueling ladders. You see somebody who says, we should close the borders. And somebody else who says, immigration is great. And what never happens is anybody says, how did you come to that conclusion? Could you tell me more? How did you get there? And you know what? Actually, that sounds good. Could I join your party? <laughs> that doesn't happen. And so we don't have that model around for us to look at. However, there's something you can do that will change that behavior for you. We're gonna break it down into something easy to follow and this is a process you can start applying right away. It's something you can practice in every conversation. We call it the four R's. 
The four R's is a, is a generic process for analyzing your conversations. And uh, you're gonna have a model, you're gonna apply it, and uh, you're gonna apply it through these four steps. Start, start off with record. Then you're gonna reflect, you're gonna revise, you're gonna role play, oh yeah, then you might repeat, and then there's some role reversal. Okay, so there's six four R's. <laughs> Sorry, some things are complex. Don't worry, we'll go through them all. But four hours sounds more approachable, so we're gonna go with that. Number one, record. Uh, one of the things we wanna stress is how approachable these techniques are. These are simple, they're difficult because they're painful, but they're not difficult in concept. So to record, you need some very complex technology, namely a piece of paper. And a pen. You're gonna do some very complex origami involved in folding the paper in half. You now have two columns. Now, thinking of a conversation where maybe things didn't go so well, what you do is in the right-hand column, you will write down the dialogue as you recall it. And the reason you only use one page is because the essence of your conflict, the dynamics, you can capture in probably just a few exchanges. You don't need a whole transcript, right? You, and you don't need to remember exactly what was said because your contribution is going to be partially based on what you remember. So you're gonna write down some your approximation of the major exchanges. You, know, so not, you can start with hi, and how are you? How is the kids? How are the weekend, right? If you like, but probably you're gonna focus in on the core exchange where there was some conflict. And I'm already done, so that's how long it takes you. Right, so it can be that quick. You have your, your exchanges, what did they say? And then what on the left-hand column, after you've written down the dialogue, you'll start adding what were your thoughts as that was happening. So when they spoke, what did you think? And as you were speaking, what were you thinking? And that's it. That's recording. Now, a lot of people say, do I have to write it down? Yeah, I could just make, take care of it. I can think of it in my head. That's okay, I don't need it, do I? Uh, and the answer is no, that doesn't oh. work. The important part here is a, is a process known as self-distancing, right? As long as it's in your head, it's you. And your brain doesn't think about you the way it thinks about other people. Right? This is where a lot of our cognitive biases come from. Things like fundamental attribution error. Right? And if you're not familiar with that, the idea is that uh, when we look at our own actions, we understand that they're contingent based on the circumstances of the world. So if I have to cut some off in traffic, it's because, look, I'm really in a hurry. This is an emergency. Yeah, but that other guy who cut me up. They're a jerk. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so when you write it down, Actually, and it's not in your head anymore, it's in, a, in a way it's no longer you, right? It's the you of five minutes ago, it's just past you. Now, it's someone else now. And your mechanisms for understanding, critiquing behavior, and you're very good critics of other people's behavior, can now be brought to play on yourself. So that's why you have to record it outside. Next up, reflect. Now there are a lot of words here, but again, this is something for you to look at later. In the, in the very simplest thing, we're gonna go back to this idea. We're trying to be curious about other people. We're trying to be transparent about ourselves. And in the process, we're gonna look for our own triggers, things that kind of set us off and make us not very curious and not very transparent. And this is an example where Norbert and Quinn uh, had a discussion and Norbert was doing the case. Now we know that it's Norbert's case because on the left-hand column, you'll notice it's Norbert's thoughts. Now the question is, are there any telepaths here tonight? Anybody telepathic? Okay, you folks, you can write the, what the other person was thinking. 
all the non-telepaths, you have to write only what you were thinking. Right. Makes sense? Okay. So since this is Norbert's thought, it's Norbert case. As you read the case, you read it in the same order that you wrote it. Right? So you read the dialogue first. On the right-hand side. And then you can read the thoughts. On the left-hand side. And then you get a sense of what the dynamics are that are going on behind the scenes. And then when you score it, you just simply say, am I being curious? And you just mean simple. Like, how many questions did I ask? And if the answer is zero, that's pretty much evidence you weren't being very curious. And you might ask questions that are leading questions or aren't very genuine. That's not very curious either. Jeffrey, weren't you trying to undermine me? Uh, <laughs> that's not very a, curious. That's a statement, not a question. A, uh, a genuine curiosity is a question you ask where the answer might actually change your mind. If you're only gathering information to figure out how better to make your argument, don't you love penguins? You're not actually being very curious. Nope. So that's what we, so you can start by looking for curiosity. The second thing is looking for transparency. In your left-hand column, go ahead and look for thoughts that you had, but you didn't share in some form in the actual conversation. So if you're, it, now you don't need to share them exam, exactly. So in Norbert thinks, you know, gosh, what a hypocrite you are. That's probably not so productive to say in the right-hand <laughs> column. But, but, you, but you might find a way to say it that'd be more productive. You might say, I really don't think what you're saying matches what you described before. Can you help me with the difference? Right. And finally, again, you're, you're going to look for your own triggers. As you do most of these, you're going to find patterns of your own behavior that you realize are difficult situations for you. And that's useful because you can start to plan alternative actions. In this case, uh, Norbert realized that uh, uh, the idea of autonomy was a very important one for him. And if he felt that there was something else going on, then he knows that this makes him unreasonably angry. So having done this, having reflected, it's time to now revise. This is like refactoring. You're going to go back and say, what's the conversation I could have had to, that would have been more productive? Right? So you're going to look for a way to, to revise your dialogue right out and say, how could I have been more curious here? Now, this is something to be remarkably successful on because you're no longer in the heat of the moment, and it's no longer, in a sense, you. You're like, oh, yeah, it turns out Jeff could have been more curious here. I wasn't able to in the moment, but looking back, that guy Jeff, he could have been here. Here's what he might have said. And you can be uh, more transparent. What were those things I didn't say? Can I find a way to bring them in the conversation? And I can write out my revised dialogue about how things might have gone. Now, this is a way to practice things safely, and you can write them out and then Say, mm, no, that's not quite right, and, and score yourself again. This is the repeat, right? I'm going to go back and revise it, reflect on what I have my revision, until I have something that I'm pretty happy with. And then the question is, now that I've got it in paper, and I'm pretty happy with that, I need to get practice actually saying it. And this is very useful to have a friend. If you need to, you can use the mirror, but friends are better, because you can try role-playing here. Now, it turns out here, <clears throat> we have an alternative dialogue. Yep. This is something you can... You can I can give it a try if you're willing Where, to. Where's mine? Uh, let's see. So uh, I'm, I'm starting off, and, okay. and you're going to tell me where the strip is. Right. Because I can't find my way around Las Vegas. Yeah. Where is the strip? It's there. Oh, man. You know, everybody's told me it's over there, and I can't find it. And I'm really frustrated with that. And you're the sixth person oh. who told me that. Can you just take me there? Oh, okay. Fantastic. And my original dialogue had all that stuff in the left-hand column about why can't you just take me there. And all I said was, okay. <laughs> and then I got lost again. So now, having done that role play, that, the idea here is that how does it feel to actually say it? 
right? It's one thing to write out a script, but that doesn't mean you're gonna feel comfortable actually saying it out loud. And every time we have somebody do this, they stumble, they um, they ah, uh, they get confused, they can't say it, and it's on the paper, but it's very difficult. So don't be surprised if you go try this. Don't get discouraged, because that's normal. Right. It's like when you first play the piano, nothing comes out right. That's, that's okay, that's what's expected. Yeah, this is that horrible learning stuff. You realize, okay, that's not the way I talk, that's not the way I would say it, I'm not comfortable saying it this way, let's try again, let's revise again. Now, then a funny thing happens when you're comfortable, yep, I like these words, I like how I say them, I can then try role reversal, because it turns out hearing them, oh, actually, I don't like the way that sounds. Back to the drawing board. Okay, so with those simple six four R's, you're able to start learning what a good conversation would sound like and you begin practicing it. And then having done that, you can actually go back and revisit some of those conversations. You know, I thought about the way that went, uh, you know, scrolled the other day and I, I realized I wasn't very curious. I was trying to, so hard to convince you, I realized I didn't actually learn why you don't like my idea. Would you be willing to share that with me? Absolutely. Right? That's what you can get to in a very short period of time. Now, what happens then? Right? What happens? Well, we're able to have those kind of conversations that we all agree are the way to make effective decisions. And, and we really start building more of a relationship here. Now, we don't need to agree. I'm you don't say, have to like penguins. It's okay. <laughs> and this is not about convincing the other person. What's important here is that sharing of information. Right? We take what was before a positional battle where we're t arguing from the top of our ladders and I start explaining, like, well, here's what I saw and here's what I was thinking and that's why I think this. Now, you, would you share mine? At the end, as, as Squirrel shares his letter, his experiences, his reasoning, his thoughts, and I share mine, now we might not agree, but at least together we now have more options. We have more information and I, at least I understand him. He's no longer this irrational person who's just blocking me for no good reason, but actually he's someone who has their own reasons and maybe they value things differently from mine, but at least I understand what they are. And that can get us closer to the espouse theory that you all said and all thought, we'd like diversity, we want more opinions, we want to share our thoughts, and to that generative culture that we talked about at the beginning. Right, and what's the attribute of a generative culture? Right, it's that together we're both putting the mission ahead of the bureaucratic rules and ahead of our own personal glory. We're elevating the mission, right? And we may disagree about the best way to perform the mission, but we understand that our differences are differences of opinion in this, but not a difference in goal. We're still partners now on elevating that mission and what's the best way for us to jointly succeed. Now, what we just covered here is a very basic foundation, I said, for conversation analysis. Uh, in the book, we go and expand on this into five different conversations. And this is really going back to sort of squirrel throwing the book across the room saying, you know, we want to, we, we want to give people more concrete uh, examples about how to start doing things like building trust, uh, how, to, how to get uh, the fear uh, conversation, how to, how to have the why conversation. Why are we doing this? What is the mission? Right. Uh, and commitment. Uh, and finally, accountability. Now, we have a question for you. Uh, you know, one of the things here is what's left to address. We really want to learn from all of you about what happens when you try using these tools. We'd also like to know if you think that we're missing some conversations that we should be addressing, or if you think there's something that, nope, I have an obstacle and I don't understand how these tools would help. Uh, if you want to let us know what, uh, how that goes, uh, you can talk to us afterwards. Uh, we'll be here, and then you can reach us at the uh, con uh, Conversational Transformation website. 
Uh, but for now, uh, any questions? It, it does, that's why we started with two, because it was easier, easier to fit on the board. <laughs> I'll repeat that, so you were saying is that it, we, we kind of started as practicing two, but what if you have a group of people? Like, so we talked about five, uh, and that's a really good question. So in, in practice, it, it's really good to have these as a shared toolkit, right, in, in our experience. So we have done this with uh, groups of people practicing together, both their own conversations separately, each bringing, I, I was frustrated by this one, I was frustrated by that one, and they, and they can be very helpful because people can help you point out, like, you actually don't sound very curious there, even in your revision. So it's very good feedback uh, that way. But it also works when you have that uh, sort of um, five people all in the same conversation, all frustrated. Um, there's actually a really good article called Skilled Incompetence that was published in Harvard Business Review because that's what we have. But we, we're very practiced at having bad conversations. Um, and he describes a case where they had a group of people who had been stuck for months and months on a decision. And what they did is they did this kind of conversational analysis with each person writing up how they thought conversations would go. And then they shared them with each other to say, here's how you could be more effective making your point with me. And so they actually were able to jointly design the dialogues. And in doing that, build the kind of trust to actually get to the point of making a decision. So it's a, it's a great question, can we do this together? And yes, this is actually a very effective way to overcome and, uh, dynamics that are, can have people deadlocked. And, and just so you don't get discouraged, this also works in the case where you're the only one out of the five who's using these techniques. Because often people will say, boy, you asked a lot of questions in that meeting. What's going on? And you can start to tell them about it. And even if you don't, you will still learn an awful lot more because you'll be curious and you'll be transparent. So we see often that just one person in an organization can start making changes like this and have a big effect. So the comment here is that at Amazon, where this gentleman works, and at other generative cultures, it's very valuable to disagree. I think we would agree that that's a valuable thing. Well, we were actually asked earlier uh, in, in, uh, in, a, in an interview, and. Uh, uh, school here is a consulting CTO has worked with something like 60 clients for the last year. Something like that, yep. And someone said, well, what are, what's the hallmark of the, the companies that you see who are really succeeding? What they do is they mine for conflict. They go, where's the conflict? Is it over here? Is it over there? They're looking for it. That's They're right. not trying to avoid it. Oh, no, conflict is bad. They're looking around. Do I have a conflict with you? With you? It'd be really useful if I had a conflict with you. And that's really counterintuitive. But when you do that, and it sounds like this gentleman is doing that in his organization, that's a very uh, useful thing to do because you can expose things that you're not curious enough about, you're not transparent enough about, and you can make better decisions. And people, pro you learn a lot from disagreements, you're right. And if people have heard of the phrase psychological safety, right, that's something that comes up quite a lot. What does that mean, right? Psychological safety is another way of describing a generative culture. It's psychological safety is one where you trust that everyone is putting the mission first and that therefore it's safe to disagree because you know that you share that common uh, commitment to the same end result. Have that conversation in a pathological organization. Right. What do we do? Who, who thinks it's great, to, so you're having it with a person who buys into the uh, glory and, and personal gain. <laughs> right. Okay, so. Yeah, so, so, so this is an interesting challenge, and it is one that's come up before, and it's one that we've dealt with. So someone who is, um, is, is pathological, now there's two things that can happen. First of all, is you might find that that person who seemed pathological actually was not. And actually, this for me, this is the most common thing. Very often, it, it, being in a position of power can be very difficult 
uh, in the sense that you get used to the unconscious exercise of power and uh, people take what you say as commands. Uh, uh, so that sometimes happens that it's a mistake. Other times it's not. People are deliberate. They say, this is what needs to happen. It turns out in that environment, remember, you're going to start also being transparent. And you might say, look, I, I understand this is what you're trying to accomplish. Um, wouldn't you like, to, are you curious about other information? I'm going to offer something. Now, again, you might not agree. But if you use this as an ability to speak up and bring up information that uh, otherwise you just are saying, well, I'm, I'm not going to because no one cares, you're actually changing the environment. Uh, humans are very good at reacting, uh, changing their behavior as their environment changes. It's hard to believe, but you are part of that other person's environment. I know that you think you're the hero of the movie, because that's what it feels like, right? We're the first person. But you're a bit character for them. But when you start changing, you're changing their environment, and they will change in response. And it doesn't always work. But at the very worst, you find out, and you can verify, and you have verifiable, actionable information, this person actually is pathological, and this is not going to work for me. <laughs> and that's useful. That's a win. So I always say to myself, the minimum is I'll find out that this isn't working. But more often than not, actually 90% of the time, I find I can change the interaction with that person even a small amount. All right, and that's it. We're out of time. Thank you very much. Thanks. Well, that's the end of the talk from DevOps Enterprise Summit Las Vegas. Hope you enjoyed it. We'd uh, sure enjoy, appreciate it ourselves if you'd get in touch with us at conversationaltransformation.com where you'll find lots of information about the book coming out in May, as we mentioned in the talk, and opportunities to get in touch with us here at Troubleshooting Agile, our email and Twitter and a mailing list to join and all that kind of good stuff. We'll be back next Wednesday. We'd appreciate it if you click the subscribe button on your app of choice and we'll have more fun and exciting uh, troubleshooting of agile development challenges next week thanks